welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast, and I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. I'm a Canadian expat living in Phuket, Thailand, and Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Our intentions of this podcast is to connect with people living on the island and share their stories with you. This is episode 16 with Ty Emery. Uh, Ty Emery was a professional LFL all-star defensive uh, uh, athlete in the U.S. Um, that is the lingerie, foot, football, uh, lingerie football league. Uh, Ty came over to Phuket and she was getting involved with the LFC, which is the lingerie fighting championship, which is essentially like women in lingerie doing MMA, but without punching in the face. Uh, now she's getting into bare knuckle FC. Um, so that should be starting. We hope in the next like few months, uh, the, on this podcast, we're going to be discussing with Ty, her journey from Australia to the U S, um, to Europe and finally ending up in Phuket and what she's been doing here during the entire current situation. We explained this, uh, before you're coming on the podcast. And again, thank you, Ty, for joining us today. Um, the Fruiting Body Podcast, it's about the journey of your life and to show your followers um, a different side to you outside that digital face we talked about. Yeah. So let's kick this off right from the beginning and let's go right back and start at your childhood. Where did you grow up? And uh, let's speak a little bit about that. Okay, so my name's Ty. I originated in Gladstone, Central Queensland. Uh, so mum's Australian. My dad is native Māori, which is New Zealand. It was a big thing for the New Zealand side of the family to have us born in Australia. Uh, I can't go into that because I don't, I don't really understand. I guess maybe that's for natives to be like, they made it out. I don't know. I don't Ooh. know. I don't. I don't know that side. So I grew up, grew up there. Four six eight zero. I went to primary school. Was school captain. Went to high school at Tulua. Uh, I was a house captain and student exec. So I was a straight A student as well. I went through two adopted homes. My family is uh, like split when I think we were about eight. I uh, brought my sister up my entire life. Um, so you, you, when your family split, you kind of went to, uh, I, I'm not sure how you, you, you label that in, uh, in Australia, but it's, it's kind of like, uh, what's the word? It's, uh, what, what, sorry, what do you mean by adopted we call, homes? We call it going into the system. With into Centrelink. the system. Okay. That's probably the same. And they say in Canada and the yeah. U.S. Yeah. So at this point, you and if we don't have to get too deep or touch upon that, that's up to you. But yeah, uh, kind of how did that process work and how did that build you to the person you are today? Honestly, I think um, I think it really just taught me to stand on my own two feet. Uh, it taught me to hustle and I really had to work for everything my whole life. And just to get through high school, I had two jobs. I worked at Golden Chicken and I packed night. I packed shelves at night. So I worked until 2 a.m., then I'd go ride my bike home, go to sleep, wake up at eight, you know, mm-hmm. go to school, do it all over again. Well, it's, um, it, seem, it seems you're wearing many hats. So yeah. there's a, we could probably talk here for six hours, <laughs> um, but, but we won't. <laughs> because anyway, I guess that's more I've wanted to just say that just so that other kids who are born into, I guess, disadvantaged homes and are also put into the system or, you know, sleeping on their friends' couches in primary school or high school. Just, I guess I more just wanted to start with that just so that they could understand where they can end up as well, you know? like. So at, the, at this age, you're, you're eight years old with your sister kind of going through the system. Are you, is your younger so sister? Eight, I was eight when it first began. And then by the age of 15 or 14, I think that's when I went into my first home with the wipers. 
um, and then my second home with the Connolly family. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was all in my hometown. So I was really lucky. Okay, so it's you're staying with the proper family. Now, yeah, are there other children like your, yourself in these homes as well, or is it just you and your sister? Um, no, it's because my sister went to America. So she, okay. she went over to America um, with, I guess, family over there. And I was excelling at school. So for me... That at that point I had finished sort of doing my sport. I was a I was an a, I was a little athletics. What do you call it? like I was a sprinter. Mm-hmm. Um, always played football, and then I really just decided okay, studies is going to be how I get out of here. Like get out of this situation. So I just really studied, and when I was getting straight A's, I didn't want to go into a different curriculum. And I know that sounds so silly, mm-hmm. um, but that's yeah, that's the way that I thought back then. I wanted to stay in. Um, yeah, do school in my hometown and, and finish up. And, and what were you ex- excelling at specifically? Was it the maths, the sciences? And sciences, maybe this really. is kind of a, a two-part question. Like as you're excelling in, in, let's say, the sciences, what were your dreams and aspirations? What, what did you want to become when you, um, when you grew up? I wanted to get into the Air Force. Okay. I really wanted to go into the Air Force and serve my country and make a difference. Um, and did you do that? No, well, eventually I end. <laughs> I ended up getting um, out of high school, and I started to get into modeling. So I started modeling with Ralph Magazine and Zoo Magazine, um, and I never thought, you know, that was sort of possible. This is before Instagram days too. So, so this is when you're like seventeen, eighteen. Eight, yeah, eighteen, nineteen, yeah. that sort of age, um, and that meant not being able to model anymore. So for me, I thought, oh, no, this is something that, you know, I guess not everyone sort of dreams of doing but it was something that not everyone gets to do and I understood that part of the experience um so I used all of my grades and I was actually one of the first female electricians to be an apprentice at Queensland Rail and I kind of got my leg up in getting into the uh, male dominated industry by Mm -hmm. using that first female step it was when the government was really pushing hey like we need diversity uh and I kind of just like really use that to my advantage mm-hmm. um, while still being but at h- a disadvantage. How did that all? How did that all connect? Like um, initially, how did you get into modeling? And we'll just take a step back because I think uh, there's there is a disconnect there. Modeling yeah. to electrician. So it's could a you, balance of female femininity and masculinity. How, how did that happen? Like who did someone push you into the modeling? Did you find it on your own? I think it was one of my best friends at the time. Um, there was just a. A zoo calendar, zoo calendar competition, and it was you know, and just like one of the little nightclubs, and if you won there, you got to go to the Gold Coast, and you were with every girl from every state, and everyone was challenging uh, to get on, be like one of the months for the zoo, first ever zoo calendar weekly. Um, so she really pushed me into doing that. Um, she was actually the first girl to get me to wear eyeliner and mascara because mm-hmm. I was, I don't know. I just never really thought about that stuff. I was always just, my head was either in the clouds or working really hard. So I just never focused on those things. So she really pushed me in and said that I could do it. And I just remember being like, well, let's give it a go. And um, then, and then how you're doing the modeling for a couple of years before this connects into becoming an electrician. Because again, for an electrician, you probably need to study for a I few years. Like you have to do an apprenticeship and it's not something you can just pick up overnight. Well, it's a four year. It's a four okay. year apprenticeship. And I kind of did it at the same time. So I never took jobs where it meant um, taking away from tape, like from the actual theory studies. 
Um, but when it came while we're on site, I could always be away for one or two days. Mm -hmm. So I'd be traveling to either the Gold Coast, Townsville, Sydney, Melbourne, like wherever they were going to fly me to for these shoots. And, um, really it kept, I'm, I'm so glad that I was an apprentice electrician at the same time as when I was getting my leg in, in the magazine world, because it really helped me to keep balance, like this balance. Mm -hmm. Like I could be sitting there getting lush and everybody loving me and wearing these clothes that were specifically mm. designed for my body type in this shoot. And then the next day you bet your bottom dollar, I'm digging trenches and crawling through ceilings with like rat hair and just everything known to man in these ceilings with dust from 1972. Um, so I think, I think um, getting to really be able to do the both like kept me super humble and kept like that reality check as well. I never, I never was super divery. Uh, but did you have family members that I, I used to live in Australia? I used to live on the Gold Coast for about a year. Oh yeah, I nice. was studying um, there at the time. So if I remember the word, you're a tradie. Yeah, I'm a tradie. There we go. I'm a tradie. Got it. I'm a lecky tradie. <laughs> There's some lingo. I, didn't, I don't know what lecky means. I guess electrician, electrician tradie. And you're wearing the orange suits. And yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. No, I, I remember in Australia, everyone's, he's a tradie and um, they're, usually their parents were tradies and, and specifically yeah. in the area I was living in, in Southport. But my question more is, did you have family that were tradies or like, I, I'm, um, how did that connect? To you, becoming an electrician, why did you decide that? Uh, I just really liked science. Okay. And I saw it as a way of being able to be the first female like in that sort of wave. And I'm someone who can work really, really hard. And I was also able to like use my, like, use my brain a lot as well. Um, I also saw it as a way to, that they would be paying me to study rather than I was obviously, I went through mm -hmm. adopted homes. There's no way that I was just going to be able to, bring up a heap of money to go to university. So for me, I found it as a way where I was like, hold on a minute, you guys are going to pay me to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to pay me minimum 120K, like minimum when I finish. I was like, okay, you got me, you got me in. Um, which is at least good for, you and know. It's, I mean, right out of, you know, at a, y a young age, you're probably doing this, what, now around 20, 21? You're a from 18 on. 18 on. Yeah. And the money's decent. Money's I mean, decent. Most people that, like, say, if you went to school for business and you get out of uh, university, I mean, maybe you're making 50K, right? Maybe so they're I'm making 50K and then still paying back their exactly. tuition fees. But, you know, I am I grew up in a tradie town. We had the gas seam pipeline, um, power stations, um, coal, aluminium refinery. We've got the largest port in the Southern Hemisphere. So obviously that was the town that I grew up in. So for me, I just always remember thinking, how can I never be stuck in this situation? And it was, I need to make man money. I need to make man mm. money and then I'm going to be okay. So to me, man money was becoming a tradie. So that's really where that sort of thought process came from so for me to just go. What's your motivation there? Is it, is it, is your motivation the, the, the freedom or the money or are you freedom. looking, are you looking for success? Is it all freedom? All three, probably. Mm. I think proving to myself that I can do it, challenging myself, knowing that I can do it, but there's always a stigma, you know, uh, Hell, there was a million jobs where I, I remember being like one week out from finishing my apprenticeship and this old guy comes and is like, oh, yeah, good good to see a female in. You're like, yeah, Oof. righto, mate. Like heard it a million times and it's like, oh, you should really stick it out. This will be good for you. And I'm like, yeah, because I didn't just stick it out for the last four years to so just give it up and not become qualified. And obviously for me, I understand that it was just breaking a lot of old man's like – 
like everything. This was their belief system. Their perception yeah, of and perception what a female of, should be doing. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I really loved being able to break that mold as well as knowing that I had all the tools inside me to be able to do those things, whether it was going from modeling shoots and then the next day being able to run jobs and, and you know, do these jobs out of the mines. And, um, yeah, so I... Maybe it was just breaking stereotypes. Maybe it was, uh, yeah, just figuring out myself to have that freedom of never being stuck and, yeah, being able to do something that was for the first as mm. well. And do you think this perception still exists nowadays? Because, again, this is probably, well, not that long ago. I mean, obviously you're not that old. But, <laughs> I mean, is, this, is that perception starting to fade away do you, in that industry or is it still there? Uh, I would like to say that it's changing and it definitely has. Uh, but you ne still need to believe, like, I was still one of the first. I was, like, the first female electrical contractor of Australia. I was the first female in the world and the youngest thermographer, mm. you know. So if I'm the first, uh, like, we haven't had that many years. I even remember on one job meeting one of the first seven women who got in, got given an apprenticeship. And she said that out of those seven, only, th I think, two fully qualified. The rest, found, like, got husbands, had babies, and it was just you know, that era of life where mm -hmm. they could never get back into it. And so for her, like she had face, like streaming tears, just like looking at me going, you know, I made that help make that change. And I remember looking at her just having like a significant moment and being like, yeah, you did. Thank you. Like, thank you for doing one thing that I have no doubt was as hard as anything because I know how difficult it was for me every day being on site and every day people just red as the active, black as the neutral. And you're like, I know. I get it. But is, is there a support group or an association specifically for women tradies that you guys can kind of help each other out? I think there is now. At the time, there wasn't. Uh, I was a part of uh, the apprentice. What is it? Um, I was about to say Illuminati. <laughs> uh oh, we'll get into conspiracy theories later. Beep. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Um, and our entire YouTube account has been deleted. Damn it. Excellent. Yeah. If there's one thing I can do, it's, <laughs> it's make trouble. Shadow ban my entire account. All right, and we're closed. No, um, I was like on apprenticeship apprenticeship mm. leagues, um, late for the like the labor. What is it like the labor parties? Um, uh, yeah, it's funny. I actually studied that. <laughs> I took I did some industrial relations stuff. Yes. But yeah, no, I, I understand. Yeah, me. So I was like a part of that and I was always it's like the, the union. The yeah, like the union. Yeah. So I was in the union. Um I was the first apprentice who was allowed at the union meetings just so that I could understand them. Um and then obviously going in and being a part of like the apprentice unions. I really just felt that even though I didn't want to do it, one, I always have an opinion on something mm. if I'm passionate about it. Um, and so I felt like maybe it was more my duty, even if I don't want to do something, I still feel like a sense of responsibility that, well, maybe my voice should be heard and maybe people need to understand these experiences mm -hmm. as a female in this world. And, and it's, and obviously like, I don't think being an electrician is cut out for every female. Like I don't, and I, I hate to say that it'd be a special female. Well, I mean, you need to wake to up in the morning that. and have the passion for the job. Otherwise, of how course. are you going to do it? Right. Well, that's for anything really. Yeah. Yeah. You could be making just cups of coffee, and if you're not passionate about it, eventually people are going to be like, look, mate, your coffee tastes like dirt. But yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to one of your podcasts, I believe you did on the LFC podcast. Yeah. Uh, again, you have so much content out there, I can't listen to it all. But I, I, I just <laughs> went through it just to get an idea about, about yourself. And you said everything you do, you give 100%. 
Um, has there ever been something you've never given a hundred percent or, or do you also believe in the concept of, I'll give it a try. And if I don't like it, I will give that up. And so I'm a lot of people of your fans, they know what you've been successful at, but what have you not been successful at? Um, sugar. (laughs) in my head, I'm probably like blocked all those things out. Like, no, we won't talk about that. Um, I don't know. I tend to just. I never really know even what I like. So I guess through everything, it's more just uh, a journey of like finding out, I guess, figuring out your own self-expression. Um, the electrician thing I fell into more just because, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't come from the best upbringing and I wanted to just be able to look after myself and I never wanted to rely on people. And then I knew I worked hard and I knew I had all these tools so I could do it. Modeling, I just, I fell into it and I knew it. I was like, you know what? I can do it. And then kind of just fell into that as well. Um, and then outside of that, I really just stayed Mm. busy within, I guess, I guess I've always stayed in those subjects, but somehow they've kind of branched off or, but I've still kind of, I guess, stayed within, Mm -hmm. I guess, my own elements. Yeah, no, I I get it. It's not an easy question. Yeah, it's not an easy question. My sister's probably like, she's shit at this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, (laughs) I'll give an example. Like for myself, I took up jujitsu and I thought, you know what? I'm going to at least try to get to a blue belt and then we'll see from there. And I gave up around like, yeah, probably less than 100 hours. But I just, like we were talking before, I just realized that like it got to the point where I was um, forcing myself to go to the class and I didn't really want to. Yeah. Um, and then that's something I, I've given up. Uh, other things like I love golf, I love hockey, and then I'll, I'll stick to those. I was but really bad at hockey. My friend played for Australia in high school. And I, ice hockey. Oh, really? Oh, uh, ice hockey? No, yeah. it was just normal grass yeah. hockey. Mm. I sucked at that. <laughs> there we go. We got there one. Go. <laughs> okay, let, let's jump uh, ahead a little bit because there's so many hats that you are wearing and to connect them all uh it's maybe is it a puzzle is it a rubik's cube i don't know let's find out but probably what, both probably what what was the next step after the electrician where, where did you go from there next um after being an electrician that's when i went into running my own business and that and was up in cairns what age are you at, at i think i was about there? 23 23 so it was when the first like the last wave of um like the whole world went down into doomsday so everybody in Australia lost their jobs and I kind of became an, um, a qualified electrician at that same sort of time. Is that 2008 then with the crash? Yeah, maybe about 2008, I okay. think. Yeah, yeah, because t- I started in 2003, yeah, three, something like that. Yeah. Um, so I applied for like over 2,000 jobs and at most interviews that I got, I was still laughed at just because I was a female, you know, rocking up to these jobs. So I'm, I just remember thinking, okay, well... Let's fix that and I'll just become my own boss. So I ended up getting doing an extra business degree so that I could actually get my contractor's license and just start running my own jobs um, up in Cairns. I had one builder. I had, um, uh, I guess, a real estate agent where I looked after a heap of restaurants and mm. just kind of built it from there. So I was up in Cairns for a few years doing that and then, um, then went down into Brizzy, continued to be an electrician and then got into thermography um so ended up doing that as well so electricity is frequency frequency is vibration yep. vibration is heat so just like a heat seeking camera and that was honestly i'm probably end up going back to that because it was i really i don't know i really like enjoyed that stuff so at this age now you're back you're back on the gold coast yeah back on the gold and coast now is this two how long are you 20 in i think i was like 25 maybe when that happened 25 okay. so spent two years in brisbane 
um, was still being a thermographer, and then LFL came along. No, but just before that, that LFL, did what were your hobbies at that point? So you're the electric <laughs> electrician by day. Did you do what were you doing at night? Were you in the gym? Were you playing sports? Yeah, I was a, like a podium dancer and like a coyote ugly dancer. So I did that up in Cairns. Now is is this? It's like. Um, it's, there's classes for that or you're being paid to do that? You're being paid to do it. Well, okay. I was. Um, and then when I was in the Gold Coast, I was at the number one nightclub where we had like Ministry of Sound DJs. Okay. Um, so I was a podium dancer for them as well. Um, and then I transitioned into the lighting and technician. So I was behind the DJs and more like cre- helping to create like the atmosphere and mm. um, getting to more read like their DJ sets and then just, you know, creating everything that was the club. Um, I love that. Do you consider yourself artistic in that sense then? Like for me, I can't, if you told me to draw a person I couldn't even draw a stick. I can't draw. I definitely, I'm not a drawer. Uh, but I guess lighting and sound, Mm. um, and then just being able to read people's energy and, you know, I guess listening to a beat and then, I don't know, I would always just pick sort of one sort of crowd, like, I'm sure everyone in this position knows, but you kind of scan and I'm like, and there is my muse. And mm. I would just go off kind of their feeling because they'd be like, oh, fucking pop. And you'd be like, <laughs> you'd see them going like, yeah. And you'd be like, excellent. Okay. Ging people up with the lights. No, <laughs> you're, you're just doing the lighting. You're not doing the, the DJing. Right? No, I wasn't okay. a DJ. I yeah. was so I was DJs there. I'm in the same booth and I was behind them mm. just doing like all the visuals and all the lights like that extra part yeah i mean again these these are even more hats i'm sure it seems like every other year you're putting another hat on i just really if i really want to do something i just i don't know just go for it just go for it Mm. but outside of that honestly i'm just a workaholic so when i was an electrician i would take any extra hours and just be working and then i guess my hobbies was just being a normal girl going getting my nails done and facials and I guess like that normal self love, mm-hmm. um, and going to the gym and just always staying active. Um, yeah. In my last few years as an electrician, I actually had a coach who I was like learning to do strength and conditioning with. And now looking back, it was the perfect years that I had with him. Um, Ezra Taylor from Brisbane. Um, he was like played for the Reds. So he was a reunion player. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really got like, got me ready for what ended up being me leading into LFL. So even though I was just doing it as a passion and something outside of work to give me that balance, I was still like, but train me like an athlete. Before that LFL, were you, did you know anything about American football at that point? Or was no, it and no to idea honest, about the rules? But <laughs> no. was, there a, was there a rugby connection? Uh, I played rugby all through school and then outside of high school as well. Okay. So yeah, in high school, I was captain of uh, the forwards and then, yeah. You were playing union or league? Union. Union. Women, we, chicks weren't allowed to play league in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, why was that? I have no idea. Something about like our like scrums and there was like a huge, I just remember there was a huge big roar like with women playing that sort of football. And I remember in rugby union, we were only, we weren't allowed to have contested scrums. So we would like pack the scrum yeah. and there was to be no sort of shoving. Like it now was are, just. Are you a union fan or a league fan more? I love all football, mm. honestly. I grew up on football. I'm a stra- like Australian yeah. Maori. There's, you know. Yeah, that's that's and that's, <laughs> that's kind of the, thing. the but yeah, because AFL is more south. Like that's Melbourne. Yeah. Up Queensland is all. It's all yeah. rugby. We're all rugby. So you 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 were getting into the the football side of things, and let's connect that to the LFL and how this all came about. 
Um, it really came about because one of my uh, girlfriends I was living with, Cody House, um, her and her fella, they went down to these tryouts for LFL and she'd made the squad and they were looking for extras to be tackling and maybe a running back, I think they were looking the for. The tryouts were in Australia or Brisbane. In, in Brisbane? They were in to Brisbane. To try to bring you over to the US, right? No, this was for the first inaugural season for Australia. Oh, okay. So yep. they'd already established leagues in America and that's where they were playing on MTV. And then they were doing the first like season um like after their first exhibition match that they had done, I think the previous year, then uh, yeah, they did the first one on Channel Seven. We got to play in all like the big stadiums. Um, so yeah, that's that's what really ended up happening with them. Um, after my first season playing for the Queensland Brigade, uh, that was when I'd made the decision that I was like, okay, I really love this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, I want to give it a go. I want to learn. I, re- I want to have that experience. And then that's when I started to be scouted by the American teams after that first Australian season. Okay. And may, if people are, aren't aware, and I'm sure because this podcast is quite diverse, so we get a lot of different viewers. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit about the LFL? What does it stand for? What is it? And now I believe they have a new name. It's like X Extreme it's or al- something. It's always changing. So, okay, so yeah, just explain what it is. It originally started as um, a halftime show for the Super Bowl where it was called the Laundry Football League. When I played it, I, it had stemmed into being the Legends Football League that's and, read, and yeah. that's when it had gone more into like the sporting attire. So it originated with that where it was like a heap of Playboy bunnies, like movie stars, um, you name it, models and you know, they had the lace up and it was this halftime show in between the Super Bowl. So obviously it was a huge kick. Then from there, they made it into an MTV series um, with the American seasons. And then it eventually went into being called Legends Football League, him trying to make clean it, it up, a, bit. Clean it up yeah. a little bit, make it a little bit more serious. Um, and that's kind of where he went from there. Then he brought it over to Australia. From Australia, we were still Legends Football League. Um I played those seasons, yeah, for Legends Football League. And I think now it's called X League. I saw X Extreme or X something. X Extreme. Yeah. I I had some – I've got a lot of positive stuff that happened through that league. And, you know, obviously, like for anyone, I'm sure there's going to be like a league of their own movie made about like the LFL yeah. where all these like horror stories but this true sisterhood like kind of comes out. Um, a league of that's a, that's with Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. Yeah. Who's gonna play Tom Hanks? <laughs> you like, can't beat that. Yeah, no, that's a great. You can't movie. beat that. That's, what, that's early '90s, I think. Yeah, that was a bomb movie. <laughs> so you you've been scouted by the LFL, and now you're making the U, uh, the move over to the USA. Yeah. Um, but you're also saying that your sister was living in the US. Was my, at that, that stage my sister had moved back when she was I think twenty okay. or, or eighteen. So she, that was back in my hometown still. So okay. my sister actually came back to Australia while I was going through my apprenticeship, mm. um, and then once again I just continued to look after her. And then eventually, obviously, I made the move to Cairns where I run my electrical contracting yep. business. Um, and yeah, my sister uh, continued to stay back there. She ha- started her ba- like making her family, having babies. And that's when, yeah, I just mm. continued on your your gyp- gypsy journey. <laughs> and, gypsy and again, journey. again, I, those are your words. So I'm not, I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. No, no, no. Those are your no, because I remember you were talking about that. You're, I, I was listening to a podcast, and you said, "Yeah, I'm basically." A it's gypsy. your sister Tani. Yeah, Tani. Yeah, she is live with us. Hey. She's Yay. the only one live. Is. So you, if you can say <laughs> a hi to her. Like, well, love she you, needs Tani. Comment. Tell us what she's not good at. We're <laughs> still waiting. Yeah. What can we ask her, Tani? <laughs> 
that's funny. So you're, you're again, thanks for joining our one viewer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, At least I've got one yeah, fan. <laughs> it's going to take a while. We're growing slowly. My, uh, my other fan is probably asleep in, in America. Leanne, love you, mm. Leanne, too. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll get into that too. I want to see if there's you get stalker fans as well, which I'm 100%. sure in in this, especially in the LFL, I'm sure a lot of the women get stalker fans. But before we touch on on that, um, now you've made the journey. You've moved over to the U.S. Where did you land, and uh, which team were you recruited by first? I was recruited by either Omaha, Atlanta, and Las Vegas. Um, so I chose Las Vegas because of Extreme Couture. I loved the MMA gym there. Um, when I was in Australia, we weren't allowed to do contact during for drills, and I just thought that was ridiculous. Um, I also wanted to do boxing style f- because I was a linebacker for fast hands and good reaction, yeah. as well as wrestling for like that tackling. Takedown, yeah. yeah, for takedowns and and tackling. Um, I was actually one of the smallest girls in the league, and like, but I was still like had a form tackle from rugby union. And then I just used those small techniques that I started to learn just to use, I guess, like their momentum into like mm. helping to take them down. So, so you, 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 just, you decided to go to Vegas because of Extreme Couture, yeah, which is 100%. Randy Couture's gym. Yeah, Randy Couture's yeah. gym. Um, I loved all of the coaches there. Um, Gil Guado, he's still um, someone who I'll contact if, you know, during which is now my MMA phase of yeah. like life. Um, he's still a coach that I can go back to, and there's so many solids that I have from my Las Vegas, uh, my time like that. Are those, is Randy, is he in the gym, or is it kind of just the brand behind No, it? honestly, he's still in the gym. He would still run classes once in a blue moon, um, and he'd still be in there training as well. Yeah. And did so you connect with him at all, or is he kind of keeping his distance from everybody? I would, obviously, I'd talk to him when he's in the gym. I wasn't yeah. going and having coffee with yeah, him. Yeah. Um, I was like one of the, like one of the, yeah, LFL is, it a, girls. is it a big gym like Tiger or is it much, is it larger than that? Mm. See, Tiger's more outside, you know. I think mm. Tiger is definitely larger, but Extreme Couture has like uh, a wall dividing from where the MMA cages are and where the pros are yeah. and like the little recovery ice bath little section is. And then obviously they're on the other opposing side. They've got all the, all the wall um, bag walls and like all the strength and conditioning as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful setup. Extreme. And you, you decided at this point you're going into the L- L- LFL, but you're also training MMA. You're kind of doing them sim- simultaneously. Yeah. And with the intention to get into MMA or was it no. kind of just a hobby? It was more just because I loved like the boxing aspect and just, I just think, to look, learn your hands. Yeah, yeah, just to like get fast hands and be able to have like, I guess, that aggression. Looking back when LFL started to like go down the drain for me um, and I started to close that off. Um, what do you mean by that? Go down the drain. It, they, they just started to, things just started to become ridiculous. Um, they just started to control the girls. They, they, st- there was always like fat, like you had to send in photos every week. They were trying were to overweight. like almost like a model, like they're trying to keep I, your weight of down. Of course, which is fine. Um, which is fine. And that's a part of it. And you know, that signing up, but eventually when they start taking your game time away, um, and you're sacrificing everything to play and not being paid, remember? Mm. And there's, I'm there's, li- no pay there's no the, pay in the league. Th- so there's no pay. No. Wow. No. Are, but are they really making money at this point? Well, he seems to be making money because he's always, would always be getting to see, I guess, the fruits of his labor. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. we were always seeing that. And, but at the same time, like, 
we were all doing it. And for me, I remember doing it just like as being an electrician, like we were doing it so that girls behind us wouldn't have to have jobs and wouldn't have to be doing the running around and the things that we were doing. We, a lot of us really believed um, that we were building a league for women um, for the future and for the future. Um, it took me maybe three seasons, four seasons to just look around and think, I was like, we've heard these lines every year. Yeah, but why, um, why did you take it on? Like, what was your agenda or your motivation to play in this league with no with no pay? Well, maybe, what else are you doing to kind of make ends meet? Well, I'd saved a lot of money being an electrician who had okay. no, who, you know, no life. But, Ve <laughs> Ve but Vegas isn't a cheap place to live. Um, no, it wasn't. And I was really blessed to be able to be living with my quarterback's family. Okay. Um, my journey through America was pretty crazy. I would be sleeping in ca on coaches' like couches in their basements. Um, with my quarterback's family. At one stage, I was living at the gyms, like Cheers Majiro's gym, ATT under Jacao. He yeah. pulled me out of the car once and let me sleep in the gym. Like it's not, everyone sees like this glitz and glamour, but for a lot of parts, like there's a lot of sacrifice and like there's a lot of days where you think, is this worth it? Mm -hmm. And of course, when you have like this feeling inside, even if for wherever it's going to take me this journey now with fighting for wherever it's going to take me it's brought me more into like a present moment for myself and i think like of course that makes everything worth it um <laughs> i was i was going to give a sentence and i want to make sure my brain can process this okay um what are your thoughts on it's you shouldn't be trying to mold yourself Sorry, one sec. It's you're not trying to mold yourself of what you want to be, like your 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 surroundings. They're not molding you of what you want to be. But so, wait, what? You said it again. Sorry, we'll cut there and we'll come back. Um, it's you are what was it again? A product of your environment? No, no, no. It was something else. I was, anyways, we'll cut and I'll get this right. But it it was like, um, it's something like you're not you're you're not molding yourself from your environment but you are what you what you are or you, no you you attract what you are yeah you this always is, sorry, attract what you so are this is this is where i'm gonna have a brain fumble <laughs> yeah you're saying you attract what you are and you you're not attracting what you want because you are a product of your environment so. yeah you are yeah. for me um i've always understood that you you know, if a flower doesn't flourish in a room, like, is it the is it the flower's fault? Mm. That no, every flower is meant to bloom, so it's just an environment. Um, my favorite biologist, Bruce Lipton, is is huge on talking about the environment, um, like, you know, affecting the cells, and that like we really are just a cell. So, I I like to always make sure, and I've done this forever. Uh, obviously, didn't have the best upbringing, so I would look to a different environment. I always made sure I wasn't like the smartest person in the room. I like to be in rooms where people were either mechanically like minded or in a, a different intelligence. Like I really enjoy making sure that I've always been in a room where I was like, good, this is who I, f cause I know who I am. Like deep down, I know who I am and I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And although I never thought that it would come to being the all-star defense, like best tackler in the world or getting to model in America or getting to be in magazine. I didn't, I didn't set out to go, that's my plan. But those things came because of that's obviously that's who I am. You know? And then you so, kind of just run, roll with the punches. And I just flow with it. So mm. I think you need, I always have goals and I'm always working towards something. But I also know that certain things are like, and I'm like, oh, 
and it sticks to you. And Let's do it. Mm. Excellent. Thank you, universe. You know, like mm. um, maybe that's my gypsy airhead side or that's my lucky side, you know, but I, yeah, I so guess. Are, are you, are you spiritual? Are you, uh, do you believe in astrology? Things like this? I uh, think I honestly, I believe in everything. Like I think I'm so science-based that I can't, there's certain things where I can have tears down my face being like, why is this happening? This is weird. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's ghost surreal. I don't know. Like, but to me, energy is real and there's something in the intangible and that you can't describe that to someone where you're like, can you feel that? And they're like, what? And you're like, okay, whatever. But if I always followed those feelings, whether it's towards a person or a gym or like going and moving to America or, or just committing and being like, I'm leaving my hometown and I'm going to Cairns. I didn't think I was going to run my own electrical contracting business, you know, but it took that move to go there, f lose 2000 jobs. And then I was like, just working out a way, working, like figuring out the puzzle and then boom. Oh, are, are you very analytical before making a decision or a, a leap or do you kind of get a gut feeling and go with it? I think I'm a gut. I have a gut feeling. I'm also, I have to process a lot. So I have to think about, I have to have as much information as well. But I also know that, hell, there's been plane rides where I've just sat there. Like, I think I was meant to go out to the mines um, up in Mount Isa or it was somewhere up north. And that's when I was like, I got to get off this plane. I got to get off this plane right now. Mm. And then I did that in Brisbane. And then I stayed in Brisbane for, for whatever reason. And, you know, then from there I became a thermographer and got into the LFL. If I never got off that plane, I'd probably still be in the You're mines. on route to the mines. So maybe that's something you, you I, I don't want to say failed at, but at least realized quick and yeah. gave up on it because it didn't feel right. There you go. Yeah, there's the answer. We got it. <laughs> so what's that commitment issue? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but no, you get me. No, you, you had you had the the, the gut feeling that it yeah, wasn't right, and it wasn't and you, right. You made though. the right decision, right? Yeah. yeah. In the end, even if you think it's wrong, it's always right. Like mm. you're never actually doing anything wrong. It's just leading you. As long as you're being true to yourself, you know, like like being true to yourself, it's never leading you astray. It's never leading you off a path. Even when things are just like, holy moly, everything's on fire. Mm. Like, it's it's okay. But have you ever made any major life decisions that you do regret? Um, so I can't. 20, 20, yeah. 20 Barbara Walters here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would just, yeah, that would just be like, I don't know. I, everything happens for a reason and for whatever well, reason. Well, I, I don't mean are. so much that you regret because, again, even if it was a bad or negative experience, it's still built it still built your character, but do you yeah. have any negative experiences for something? And maybe it just didn't go right and it wasn't the right decision, but it still built your character. So it's not a regret. Um, career wise. A anything relationship, career, it could be even all the relationships that are bad. Buying eventually. A, ma a Magnum ice cream at the Seven <laughs> Eleven that you wish you didn't. No, I always love eating the white Magnum ice creams. Yeah. Um, even I guess maybe being separated from my sister at a younger age, I feel like maybe I could have had a, a different influence, you know, through those teenage years. But I also understand that in psychology, huge those huge uh, influential years are actually zero to five. So I know like as an adult, yeah, cool. I did a good job because through those whole years I helped to implant like, this yeah. is how you're a good human. Like this is how you're not a good human. This is how you ride a bike. This is how you make toast. Or I don't know. But who taught you all that? Was that the, your your uh, ad adopted parents that you were living with? They kind of molded you? I guess they helped mold me through my um, teenage adolescent years. So they, honestly, I wouldn't be even 
I wouldn't have had a good environment to be able to get through the, those years if it wasn't for them. And and, and you're still close with them. Um, I still obviously I still talk with um I still talk with the boys. I still talk with Dave, um, and I still talk with Darlene. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, obviously I don't go home because I'm always on the just go, right yeah I'm now. always on the go and I've always been on the go. I've never stopped mm-hmm. like ever from I think from running the from running my business and then from modeling just. I don't know. I, f- I think I just found so much more in that and I didn't want to stop. There's something in me where I'm, I'm just like, no, Are the you time con- is now. constantly on the go, constantly thinking of new ideas and what you can do ne- next. That sometimes the term can be ADHD with OCD, <laughs> constantly changing what you're completely obsessed about. No, I think I stay pretty consistent in what I'm obsessed with. Um, that's how like I became, you know, everything I've kind of gotten into, I've become like the heightened, ver- mm. you know, or the best version for me in, in doing that. Um, so I know, I, I guess with LFL stepping away from football, that was one thing that was, I felt, I think I cried. Was more. that your decision? I think it was, it was still my decision to step away. Um, and why? Just because I didn't enjoy how they were making me feel. I didn't enjoy rocking up to training and having people tell me that I wasn't giving something 110%. When to me, I was waking up at 4.30 a.m. to ride my bike to the gym in the Las Vegas, like staying out of Las Vegas heat. And then I'd have teammates who were like out partying. Like, okay, I was in with girls and they're like, we're going to party with Justin Bieber. And I'm like, cool, we have like a semi-final yeah. championship game tomorrow, ladies. So I don't know, fuck Bieber. Mm. <laughs> and, they, and they and they went to party with Bieber. And but I what, what was, who was telling you this? You weren't giving 110%. Is it the owners? Is it the coaches? Is it the players? It came from owners, players, and coaches. So Why, what was their motivation to say that to you when you clearly were? Why would they I say that? I have no idea, but it definitely lit a firecracker up my ass. Mm. So, you know, I think at the same time to me, I was like, oh, the level of disrespect mm. because that's not like what was happening. Um, I can never understand why those girls needed to, I guess, push me out. But, hey, if that's the pattern of women's jealousy, then that's the pattern of women's jealousy. They've well, really maybe you were, going so, you were going so hard and they didn't want to match that. <laughs> maybe, but... Like I said, like, if I want to do something, mm. I want to do that. So when you made that decision to leave the LFL, was it overnight? Did you take a month or how fast was that? Um, no, when I make those sorts of decisions, like, everything's like sliding doors. Everything will happen within, like, that week. Okay. Usually, mm. like, everything I've sort of made. I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. There's, you know, I always, I'm, I don't want to waste time. Yeah. If I've made the decision, why wait around for, the, you know, this? It's like... Let's go. And and I just want to jump back because I didn't clearly understand this part of the story where mm-hmm. um, you're in the F- an LFL. There's no there's no pay, but no pay. I didn't understand your motivation to stay in it and and the whole your whole reason of getting into it was because so as a thermographer and even as an electrician, because I was just going hard for so long and I loved I love working hard like I really do. That was, you know, even in moments where I'm on a Sunday fixing a light and there's ants crawling over me. I remember just like laughing and crying, being like, maybe one day I'll miss this, you know, maybe I'll miss where I was doing this crazy little life by myself up in, in Cairns. Um, maybe uh, you just maybe wanted to try something new. I guess just try something new. Mm. Really? I guess just put that challenge on myself. And through all this, I mean, you're quite busy and you're working hard. Are you, uh, and 
are you able to maintain like uh, relationships with no partners? <laughs> oh, okay, so no, because well, of course, I had I've had long term boyfriends. Um, What's long term? Like a couple five? of years, like a couple okay. of years. So I could maintain them, but mm. also I was always wanting to like work and. I had I wanted to you know be able to also do like go to the dancing or do modeling and then outside of that I wanted to spend time with them. Um, I'm super like free range where I'm like okay like you're you're do, living do I'm your living thing, yeah I do, my thing. do my thing. So it's kind of living you know it's it's it, living separate lives essentially but then you know you still coming back together yeah. you know. It, um, I think honestly a lot of for whatever reasons like it, it didn't work out as it wasn't meant to. Um, you can't stop like what you want to do. And I think for a lot of the times it was either get them getting jealousy out of me going to the modeling shoots and mm. like, or just even like with the football, they, you know, I want, I had the opportunity to go to America. That's going to make someone feel a certain you know yeah. type of way. And then that's also like a once in a lifetime experience, you know, um, you get to go and be the best. Like you have an opportunity to go and learn. Yeah, otherwise you, you, you can't go if, it, if you're more focused on the relationship. Of Do you course. see yourself at, at one day being able to settle down and have kids? Is this a plan? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't Too far into the future. Well, that's not really just up to me. I guess that's um, just w waiting for, I guess, a synchronistic moment for someone to like me want them to claim me and... And well, having do, that do connection, you, I guess. Do you that? Do you, uh, like, do one you day, I honestly, yeah, of course. One day I would love that. I would mm. love a partner in crime and to have an equal. And I think there's such a, you know, there's such a different power in having like that connection as a partner. I think you can completely elevate each other. And one thing I've found is when it's not the right partner, they, I feel that pull. Like I can literally feel that pull where I'm like, okay, so you didn't want me to go to a job that was then going to be a centerfold spread that then leads into other jobs and, mm -hmm. you know, so I can, if I feel that like tug where I'm like, I'm, you're becoming a ball and chain. Uh, let's like, come on, like whatever you're going to do, let's be the best. If you're going to be like, mm -hmm. I don't care what you do, but I also want them to be the best at it. And so maybe, maybe I have unrealistic expectations or maybe people don't like that sort of motivation yeah, where but they're like, you are who you on. are, right? So yeah, you of can't course. Change. I yeah. can't change that. So I'm also like, I'm not going to force a relationship because it won't work and mm. I can't change who I am and I'm a lot, you know? So <laughs> any guys out there, <laughs> no. this is her, <laughs> this, is, this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to waste your time. Like time. if I'm into it, I'm into it. If I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of energy and I'm going to stand my ground and have my own thoughts about things as well. Which is which is fair. Yeah, which is fair. Right? Okay, well, let's, let's go on a lighter <laughs> note. I, I think some of this information, it can be interesting to show to your fans because maybe you haven't talked about it in the past. I'm, I'm not no. sure. I've heard a lot of your, your podcasts and uh, that's what we're trying to do here. We try to give some extra insight to you and what yeah, you're about. Yeah, of course. They're probably like, why is she single? And I'm like... Because I am crazy. <laughs> Bitches. There no, we, found, no, <laughs> we found the answer. <laughs> no. So on, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> you're training at Extreme Couture. Yeah. And at which point, um, let, let, let's try to jump a little bit from training at Extreme Couture to coming to Thailand. Is there a big gap there that you need to piece together before okay. you make that hop? So I was in Extreme Couture because that's where I was uh, more training for my LFL days. 
And then once LFL was over, I obviously couldn't just keep living with my quarterback's family because when I'm, we're not playing football anymore. Um, so I actually got, uh, had a sponsor who was a building company sponsor, but they said that I had to live in the accommodation that was in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So I left Vegas. Obviously that was my home for the few years that I was playing football. So I would still go back and cross train one because I wanted to see, like, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoy cross training. I think it's super important. You get exposed to, you know, sometimes one coach can say something and then the next thing, someone can say the exact same thing. And in a, all of a sudden it's like, ding, it clicks. Yeah. You're like, damn it. So I actually started my first MMA years up in, um, with ATT under Douglas Lima. And, um, now, and that, that was also Florida? with Jacau. No. American top team. No? American top team. The main one is in Florida, the but there Boca, was, uh, what's it called? Uh, Coconut that's the Creek. Hub. Coconut yeah. Creek. That's the yeah. hub. But there's also franchises. So, okay. um, yeah, Douglas Lima had one and then Jacal Rohan had the other. So This is in Atlanta. This is in Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. So in my American years, I was skipping between Atlanta and Las Vegas, um, mostly dependent on where I was going to be able to have somewhere to stay. Um, and then, obviously, I had my gyms that I could train at. So I was really lucky that I was even able to go in and cross train the way that I was. At this point, what, what was your agenda? You're, you're training MMA. Was it for fun? Did you have plans to get into it professionally? I didn't know if I'd go professional, but of course, when you're going to do something and I thought, hell, the women's like era is so new and there's just different skills. So and what year was this? Around when you're kind of getting into it, you're no, what year? Four years, in, uh, four in, years ago, or three years ago? Four years ago in Atlanta. In a, yeah, in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, and this, this you're kind of just training to maybe see what comes out of it. Really, I think because of the lot, like my loss with football, um, Eric Nixick at Extreme Couture, um, he really sat me down. He's like, I thought you were transitioning into this anyway, the way that you train, mm. and that kind of like even just hearing that um, was a huge thing. Um, but the person who really got me to transition straight from MMA, um, from football, LFL into MMA was Misha Tate. So I was actually mm. training at a strength and conditioning place and it was beside Misha. Um, and I just remember thinking, I was like, yes, excellent competition. Let's go. You know, like without kind She's of. She's a beast. Of course she is, but not really realizing overly like Misha Tate, who's Misha Tate. Um, and this is when she had a 135 pound division UFC belt. Um, obviously from there we just sort of trained and she got me into this like female development squad with Ro um, Robert Follis. Um, and then, you know, I would come and talk to her because obviously were she... Were you guys close? Like Yeah, we were close. In, in so and out, outside of the gym? Outside of the gym, she would hold barbecues and she's obviously someone for females where you felt like she had a big sister vibe and you could go, I could at the time like go and talk to her about certain things that were happening in the LFL because... Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, we're all doing interviews. We're all doing, like, we're all at the top of our game. So I was at the pinnacle and top of football mm. for females and being able to have someone of, like, what who I saw as an equal, but someone, obviously, UFC is somewhere, is leagues above LFL, of course, you understand. But she's still someone that I could go and talk to about what was happening. Um, so, yeah, I was telling her, like, obviously, the, the travesty that was kind of going down in my life as football and... Um, then she invited me to the UFC in Brisbane. I think it was my first UFC. I was watching Mark Hunt. And um, she's like, you want to come backstage? I was like, yeah, awesome. So I get to watch some interviews and we go and eat. And I just feel something. And I'm like, righto, mate, what steak knives do you sell? I'm like, get it out. And she's, she goes, I really think that you would find a, the love that you've had missing out of through this sport. And I really think, you know, you should do MMA. And that was when 
you know, mm. between there and then finally just not accepting how I was being treated by the league um, and then having a sit down with Eric Nixick. It was between, it was Misha doing the, you know, the planting and then just having like this big brother sort of vibe going, fuck them. He's going to be the one like who's sitting front row when you're doing things. And, you know, and you're like, yeah, that's, this is what I need. Um, and between that, that's when I really decided to get into MMA without thinking, okay, do I want to go pro straight away? No, fighting is not football and there needs to be, there's a process. There's a process. So you really started to get into it about four years ago where you're taking it seriously. Yeah. And did you give yourself like, uh, a timeline of, okay, I need X amount of time before I jump into my first amateur. I straight away. (laughs) <laughs> and what, what what is your your uh, your skill set? Are you are you a grappler? Are you doing boxing? Are you doing Muay Thai? Is it Jiu Jitsu? What's your specialty at I that at that time? At that time, it was more just like one twos and just tackling people. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I was really just stuck getting people on t- into the cage, uh, um, and yeah, just. Mm. honestly it's a whirlwind <laughs> my first one was just ridiculous so you've had amateur fights yeah i've had two um, amateur mma fights um and then i needed to get a strong visa america denied my re-entry because i was on a b1 b2 yep. um and they wanted me to go and be on a p or an o type visa so i for work-related for visa, work-related yeah. visas and Whatever. I still had three years left on my entertainment visa. And f- even though I wasn't paid for anything, that still wasn't obviously good enough because to but them... you can't use that visa for, for no. fighting, probably with licenses and whatnot. Maybe not, but it was yeah. to me, I just thought, okay, at least it's amateur, but it, obviously it wasn't It wasn't enough, so mm. it didn't matter. Um, and how, how did those fights go? Because I, 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 I checked your... It was decision. I, I, I couldn't find them. The yeah. first one was... Um, a decision, what is it? When they're like split equal or whatever, a split decision. Or a draw. Oh no, it was a draw and I lost two points because in Georgia you can't Elbow. ground and pound. And ah, so you lost by, I it's lost, a draw and then lost you lose that by, by points. points. Um, I also tore my ACL in like the first round. So by the third round, I do remember just being on the ground and I was, and I was like, I can't move my legs. What's is going that on? this scar here? Yeah, that's, that's the, the ACL, scar. right? That's the ACL yeah. on that one. Um, yeah, I just remember thinking, what the hell? And just like started punching her in the face and they pulled me up and I was like, what? And I'm like, oh no. So I, I lost it for myself in that one. Then my second fight, that was a loss. Um, I went in with a broken nose. I'd had my nose broken twice. In um, training. In training. And then in the second round, she just, she got finally got me in the yeah. face and it just sat me back. It was a good fight though. I definitely got to say that. That was a good time, but... So now you're, are <laughs> I you probably tra- won't go into a fight ever again with a broken nose. Because no, because I mean, like I, I don't know <laughs> if you've ever seen this. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Robbie Lawler fight with. Uh, I don't. I say have. It. I have a question here that it's related to what you're saying. Like Tani asked a question. Oh, you're si- that's and your uh, sister. Yeah. Yeah, your sister, and she's asking here how many surgeries have you had, and uh, any advice or recovery. Oh, that's okay. I've had two ACLs. So I had one through my football season, which was a break in between going over to America when I was scouted for the leagues. Um, And then I had one just after my, you know, my first MMA fight. Uh, One thing I can say is it's such a slow process. Um, And at the time I remember thinking my life is over. It's never going to happen. But to be honest, it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, especially after the first one and people literally telling me you'll never be anything in football again. And then I, Mm. 
every day just went to training. What was the recovery like? Like one year before you could really okay, get back Okay, it was meant going? to be 12 months and I smashed that back within, I want to thank um, Dr. Saul Geffen and Rehab Plus Fitness. I was back on the field ready within five to six months. Was so that purely from the rehab, like doing the physio? Being physio, being looked after by the doctors. Or were you dedicated to the Because physio is the most boring thing in the world. It is. It's super boring. And then at the same time, just being creative in being able to just continue to change exercises where you could still do stuff. Um, being Getting on the bike once I could get on the bike and understanding there was all these limits and not allowing those limits to stop me from building myself into an elite athlete so that once the ball was running... I could fly straight over to America and get into it. Mm-hmm. I never, yeah, I don't think people ever talk about like just the emotional response that kind of happens from like from any sort of major injury. Just even just lying there in bed where you can't just go to the toilet. You can't get up. <laughs> and yeah, you've got all these thoughts of, am I going to do this again? Is it going to be worth it? And I do remember in the first one, and I feel like I just completely hexed myself i remember thinking i will never do this again like if this happens to me again that's it it's over i'm never doing sport so this one was from the lfl this one was from the lfl yeah and then yeah this, this one's one from, MMA. from MMA. during the fight well it was probably obviously a bit injured from yeah. going in there's mm-hmm. no way your acl can just snap that like yeah. that um but for anyone that does mma you could everyone's got limbs half hanging off them like yeah. that's just a normal day in the office yeah, it's uh, it's not a sport. Pain I'd, tolerance which, it's is not, a must. It's not a, it's not a sport that you would you know. I, I wouldn't recommend to people going into it because I and and it's also very dangerous, especially with the CTE. Does this of scare course. you? Uh, it used to, but at the same time, I think I'm also super scared of like not living. Mm. <laughs> Did you have any head trauma in the LFL or any super. major hits? I had one major hit, and I remember completely. I, well, we've got the footage. I lit our, lit the quarterback up and then from there I completely blacked out and didn't come to. I'm, I got back into my position and everyone was like, yeah, like cheering and banging my head. And I just remember thinking, I was like, stop touching me mm. I, and not realizing until outside of the game when I would be trying to talk and I would start to stutter or just was small it a things. Concussion it was a con- super concussion. We're wearing ice hockey helmets. So that was our uniform, ice hockey helmets either on an indoor field where most of the time we were playing on turf rolled out on yeah. concrete. So yeah, we were no, legit. They don't even nothing, have the rubber. for Nothing. Oh my God. So that's what we were playing on. So when people like a lot of people like, Oh, is it fake? I'm like, no, it is not fake. Like that's real. Yeah. Cause they're doing it cheap to cheap. put that rubber down is very expensive. Super. I mean, I play on a football field with some buddies over here and I stopped playing because they just put AstroTurf on concrete. And like yeah. after about an hour, like the next day I can't feel my knees. Yeah, you can't. And it's not good for you. Yeah, and your ankles too. And it's Everything. so... I think, but it's funny because now in MMA, I could have a rolled ankle and not even have a clue because I played so many years on concrete that I'm like, wow, we have cushion. Yeah. This is amazing. This is, pa- this is paradise now. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you wouldn't make it one season in LFL. Bitches, like, what the hell? Does, does this see this concussion, uh, what's the protocol after that type of injury in the LFL? Do you need to take six months off? They don't do anything for us. Nothing. Nothing. Mm. So I was actually meant to do, so this was all before COVID. Um, HBO, it was with HBO. We were meant to be going to... Uh, 
somewhere outside of Mexico or something like that where we were going to be doing stem cell research and yeah. they wanted to be getting athletes from different sorts of leagues and uh, yeah, either putting it in old injuries as well as putting it in with CTE. And I think that that was a major, major thing for me to go into those studies. I had a friend. Did you take stem cells in your knee? Um, I think it, w- it was either stem cells or peptides. Okay. Um, I was, like I said, I was super lucky. I had amazing doctors believe in me and believe it, like believe that I would be crazy enough to put in the work. So like I've got a torn ACL and somehow I'm still getting to the gym at 4.30, mm-hmm. 5.30 a.m. to do three a days. And how would they do stem cells or, or recovery for, for the, for CTE, for the brain? I, well, I never got to do the research. So, yeah, but that's I, that's yeah. to me that I was like, yes, I will be a guinea pig because this is going to be, mm. for one, I feel it's a super preventative um for now like when i got concussed um the other week in in mma i just completely went to ground i just decided okay that's awesome like let's deal with that up to my cbds um obviously up to my waters up to my mineral intake um and then just changed my like changed my training block to strength and conditioning and grappling so for me like I'm now understand from fo- my football years like that is like how serious it is, and obviously you know one day I'm gonna have to have family members. I don't want to be putting that on them because I lived this crazy mm-hmm. extravagant like sporting life, and then in the end they're wheeling me around in a yeah, yeah, you, you know. There's like, got to be a cutoff. Then point. yeah, of course. And there do needs you to have cut that cutoff point safe. for yourself? Like a like a I don't know a fail safe or like where you would say okay if this happens to me, I'm done. Um, I think that for everyone, I think that like cutoff line is going to be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something that just comes inside of you. I think if I'm going to training and I don't have that feeling, then I know that it's, you still you have know? that uh, excitement. You get okay. up in the morning and you want to yes, go to the gym. You want to train. See, for me, okay, when I knew that I was quitting LFL, we were going out. We were like, had all the cameras like in our face. We've got all the lights. We're just about to go out and do our little like entry, you know, whoop. Yeah. And I remember smashing this flag. And then all of a sudden I looked at my friend and we're like, yeah. Lily looks back at me and I've just gone. And it was literally like this hand just went, whoop. You're just, done pulled something like I felt it just pull out and I I knew in that moment she looked at me and I was like I don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. I was like I feel like you know when your imaginative friends just all of a sudden they disappear and you're like mm. oh I don't want to play anymore yeah you just want to yeah well I don't if you, play the imaginary passion's not anymore. there right <laughs> yeah the passion was gone yeah so I think one day if that's what <clears throat> happens for me now um I had a really good coach John Beesing from Gata and he's always like obviously in MMA I was had different whether it was a financial like change or I've annoyed someone or like moving from gym to gym um because of like either travel accessibility or money obviously usually for me a big guide is like money and Mm -hmm. where I can kind of just to me the hardest thing is just getting to the gym once I'm there, everything's, I can train my oh, little heart out. I can sit out. there and stare at my running shoes for 20 minutes. <laughs> no, mine's more like just literally like, hey, I either don't have money. I've got to ride a bike to get to the gym or mm. can someone pick me up? Outside of that, I'm fine. Let's. I'm good to go. But for me, there's different things challenging me and mm-hmm. knowing how much do I really like fucking want this. And that's, for me, that's been my major thing. Like how much do I really want this? <laughs> 
for some reason, like I don't like if a door closes, I'm just gonna go and wait for the next door to open. Because well, you you have you're gonna go going. train. You're gonna train tonight, right? Yeah. And do you ever get these days where you don't want to train, but you still know you have to go because it's part of that routine to be able to get to a certain level? Of course, that that's what requires discipline. For me, um, I'm more need someone to be able to put on a like the, the break. So I've now been able to like distinguish between when I should have a break, whether it is just like mentally, I just need, you know, that reset. And then the next day you're like, wow, whoa, I'm way more efficient. I'm getting more out of this session. Wow. I just needed to take a Wednesday afternoon off and like heal or go recover and put some like different energy into my body of like loving myself to like go back to bashing myself the next day. Um, But also I, you also need to know like what's disciplinary to go, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've never had that. I've never Are had. Are you using that any like devices that like uh, like uh, tr- like some people use Whoop or I different tracking devices? Whoop, hey, we need a, who am I? Which <laughs> camera? Sponsor. Come it on, turns your go. body into a robot. You can literally go. Yeah. Oh, I haven't slept enough. Oh, I can train this hard. It's it's your like lifeline coach. Yeah, I, think I use that's this amazing. Fit, Fitbit for sleep. And it works really well. Like some days I'll wake up tired and then I'll look at it and I'll I'll notice that like, I guess I was up like for two hours in the night where I just wasn't in a deep sleep. And then you wake up tired. It's super. Sleep is like that tool that everyone like wants to buy pre-workouts and everything. And you're like, I would prefer to not buy a pre-workout and put more focus on having a good night's sleep. Yeah. It's. And the most important for recovery as well. Of course. Like even for me, I know if my just say the AC breaks down and then I'm overheating the next day. I cannot do two sessions or I cannot like get what I usually can just because my body hasn't recovered. Yeah. Like haven't had, Oh, I forgot my minerals on my electrolytes. You bet your bottom dollar by like that night time. I'm going to feel it. Yeah. I mean, I think sleep is most important and I don't know for you, but for me, it's, I need about eight hours. I would say seven to eight, but if I get like six, I, I'm a mess the next day. I need like 10 coffees to even get through the day. Yeah. And it's so strange. It's just that extra 45 minutes to an hour and you think it's nothing, but. No, it is yeah. everything though. Have you read any recent studies or have you heard about the effects of psilocybin and especially with the studies going on at John Hopkins and actually the UFC and Dana White, they're actually heavily invested in these studies. Have you, have you heard about this recently? I haven't been, I actually didn't know any of that information. So that's something cool that I can look into. Um, I have been looking into a lot of nootropics. Yep. So I guess I've more, like obviously wanting to do the CTE and the um, stem cell like yep. um, thing with the HBO. Like I really, obviously after that, I really started to get into like more of that and um, l- look up a lot of the nutrients that we lack and require after through those stages. Like if you've had a concussion for the first six weeks, you're lacking this. So I really started to get into like that sort of science what nootro- of it. What nootropics were you looking into? Um, it was Onnit's, all on of it, Onnit's brands. The Alpha Brain? Yeah. Well, not even just the oh, Alpha okay. Brain, but they had, um, oh man, I don't know the n- um, brand name of the other one. I think Usman or something like that. Are, are you sponsored. are you using it for recovery or focus? Because it's pretty I much that stuff's focus. Oh, uh, all of it, all on it is. Um, not all of on it. So you have Alpha Brain, and then other ones. There's one for like new mood. That's more just for like uh, stress relief and stress oh. management. But like those ones, like anything nootropic related, it's not going to repair. Oh. It, it's more nootropic related stuff. It's 
um, more focused on focus. So now the definition of a nootropic at the end of the day, it's basically the medicine, let's say you're taking or the pill you're taking. It's a bunch of different herbal medicines mixed into one. Oh, okay. So it's there's nothing hmm. there's nothing uh, pharmacological about it. That's actually that's why it's sold as a food. It's not sold as a drug. So any type of like of our bottles, this will be a mushroom extract. You can't sell it as medicine, and you have to put that on the label by the FDA. Oh, okay. So when you're looking at things about Alpha Brain, and I probably shouldn't say this, it's sugar pills, and they charge a lot because they add. Now some things in it are good. Yeah. But what they'll try to throw in there sometimes is like lion's mane or reishi. But yeah, that's a lot of the names that were on the list. Right, but it's all mycelium on grain. Okay. And this is where it gets a little bit technical, but basically what they're doing is they're taking, um, they're growing the mushrooms in the U.S. because they want it to be U.S. grown. But they're not selling send, selling you the fruiting body of the yeah. mushroom and that's why we call ourselves fruiting body because what they'll do is they'll take a substrate and sorry if it gets too technical just tell no, me no i love up. this okay Go. so what they'll do is they'll take a substrate of brown rice flour um from that substrate of brown rice flour they'll inoculate it with it whatever mushroom you're trying to grow lion's yeah. mane reishi whatever usually for this one we'll call it oyster mushrooms or, or lion's mane and with that brown rice flour, the one of the first stages of the mushroom's development is mycelium, which essentially is just the fungus, the fuzz. Yeah. There's no mushrooms growing. So that, that mycelium network is now growing within the substrate and expanding, and it's moving towards the mushroom that is going to become the full fruiting body. To save money in the U.S., because mushrooms, they're very labor-intensive. Therefore, when they grow, you can only handpick mushrooms. One grows this big, one grows that big. It's not like corn where you can just run a machine through the field. Yeah. So you have to grow it on these substrates in different warehouses and controlled environments. They cannot handpick it. The labor's too expensive. So what do they do? They just take that substrate of brown rice flour with the mycelium that's grown. That's why we call it mycelium on grain, M-O-G. And they blend it. So wow. guess what you're taking? You're taking brown rice flour. Yeah. They haven't extracted the mycelium out of the substrate and that's like how we differentiate differentiate ourselves we actually mm -hmm. grow the mushroom we take the full fruiting body mushroom and you process it into powders and you then um do an extract ratio with that so what that means is for our product this one would be like a i think a 10 or 12 to 1 which means i need 12 kilograms of uh, mushroom powder to make one kilogram of my finished product and wow. they dilute it through uh, alcohol and water extraction processes and eventually using uh, spray drying techniques to again concentrate it yeah so that's where you're getting the quality from it. okay i have a question so my friends who i did my yoga retreat with and did the ayahuasca ceremony with yeah they own me diet cafe in vegas now they got me into either it was smoking certain strands of weed um, uh, for recovery and then also uh, microdosing. Yeah. So what is microdosing like compared to like doing well, for the brain and recovery? Micro microdosing psilocybin, magic mushrooms, yeah. microdosing magic mushrooms. Um, what Again, th there's no studies out there. There's, yeah. no, there's no data because it hasn't been been legalized so that's what john hopkins is doing okay. now and nobody knows um go john they, hopkins they, they don't know it could be bad for you you could find out it in 10 be. years like shit you shouldn't be microdosing 
Um, and, and to be honest, I don't, I can't answer that. What I think is happening is from the, st from the information and the data that we do have, um, and they've showed a, a brain on like a CAT scan of yeah. on mushrooms and off mushrooms. Isn't there more activity there? There's more activity and it's reconnecting different neural pathway pathways through a process called nerve growth factor. So it's connecting these neural pathways that is stimulating the brain. Now, is there going to be long-term side effects because like you've stimulated the brain and maybe yeah. over time now you don't stimulate it and it could have issues 10 years down the road? Kind of like wearing glasses and then it like blows exactly. your vision Exactly. Nobody knows. So yeah. that's why they're doing these studies. And to be honest, I don't think you can have the answers for, it could be 20 years, right? Yeah. I mean, how do, you don't know what's going to happen in 10, 20 years. Um, for microdosing in particular, there's different strands like of, uh, of marijuana. Yeah. Okay. Some strands of uh, mushrooms, like we call it the golden teacher, which is the classic psilocybin cubensis that you always see, the big one with the big golden cap. This one is more for mood and relaxation and calming. Okay. Um, then there's other ones like Penelius sciencinus, which is also known as the blue meanie. This one's more for creativity. That wow. one will take you to another planet. This is, if you take <laughs> this one, it's very potent. So again, there's different strands of mushrooms for different purposes and what you're looking to achieve from it. However, at the end of the day, if you're microdosing and you feel anything, then you're not microdosing. You're on the verge of macrodosing. Oh, okay. Microdosing is, um, you should not feel anything. It's something that just dances in the back of the brain. So that's kind of how you have to learn to dose yourself. So that's why it's, it's, it's just re-stimulating things, It's really. re-stimulating things, but it's also connecting neurons in the brain that may have not connected with each other in maybe 10, 20 years. Does that mean that we're, we might be speeding something up that should be just an evolution no. of, like, Again, we, we, of its own, like, we don't battery? Know. We don't know. And then, I mean, the, there's, there's God, no, it's not, it's more of a theory. They call it the stoned ape theory, and Rogan always talks about this, but I've read books about this for many years now, and... That's one of the reasons why they they say the human brain doubled in size was from magic mushrooms. Hmm. Um, and the reason for that is they're saying that because um, as, as the, the, the forests uh, were, were being pulled back and the apes were coming or that the monkeys are coming out of the forest, they're now foraging for food. And where do they go for the food? They see the cattle and they're lifting up the cow patties, trying to eat grubs. And then they see this mushroom. Um, there's proven studies on that, that taking psilocybin improves visual uh, acuity. I think this is the word, or acuteness. Yeah. Um, so they've done studies on that where they've taken two groups, uh, double-blinded uh, placebo studies, and people are able to much more easily uh, um, tell the difference in lines on different pictures because of that visual acuity. And then that could be attributed to, okay, did our ancestors the apes take those mushrooms did that improve you know uh, being able to prepare themselves in the wild from uh, predators uh, being able to find food much easier and so on and so, so on this will make my jujitsu better um act, uh, they uh, it's not a new study but a new trend is happening in muay thai where people are microdosing and even like on the verge of macrodosing before fights not, but not My enough. Modi mate did that, and man, what was it for? Maybe a glory fight, um, Bryce. And I remember going, "You dosed yourself out on shrooms," and I was like, "So how was the fight?" And he goes, "I was not there." And I thought, then he probably took too much. <laughs> he 
He probably took too much. But I think if you microdosed it where you went in, um, but again, you should probably be doing it for a month. Yes, getting used to it. Okay, so then what's the difference between, does that mean through my ayahuasca ceremonies, have I like catapulted my mind further along than it should? Because aren't they using just like shrooms and just like ayahuasca to help in healing, the healing process of the mind and, and the soul and the body? Does that mean they're also categorized like that as well? Well, they're, they're two different medicines, right? I mean, I, I don't know the science, but I've done an ayahuasca retreat as well. Um, they're Okay, for me, this is the conspiracy theory side of it. Ooh, yes. yes. So what I believe is... Um, it's a bit crazy, but it's, it's actually, it's not, it's not my belief as well. It's, um, I connected to this idea, so I'm probably regurgitating it from someone, but different things like the mushrooms, uh, actually it's from Terrence McKenna. And if anyone knows Terrence McKenna, he's a very famous, uh, I don't, not a mycologist, but an enthusiast or influencer of magic mushrooms. And what he theorizes, he says that if there were aliens, this is his theory. If there's aliens, if they, they wouldn't be able to connect with us because maybe they're interdimensional. Maybe they we can't see them. But he said if they're going to talk to us and there was a language, they would speak through it through food. Hmm. And he believes that if something out there that is larger than we understand needs to communicate with us, that communication tool might be through things like ayahuasca, DMT, uh, medicinal mushrooms. Yeah, of course. And it's very interesting because, and again, I'm not really answering your question of what does ayahuasca do and how does that help you. To answer that question more in depth, I was just more asking, like, with the brain, with because, the br- uh, like, honestly, I, know, I don't, I, I, I like couldn't answer that. If that's what they're trying to say, even with just shrooms, then it's bringing clarity and it's bringing answers and it's uh, scientifically, it is connecting parts of your brain to give you that clarity, and you can come, you can come out of those trips, let's say with all the clarity in the world and you can write it down, you can journal it and say, okay, I saw the light. I know what I need to do. And it could be very simple things like don't eat Magnum ice creams five times a week anymore, but just simple things like this. And then you write that down and you realize what you need to do. And you're going to get that clarity from um, ayahuasca and medicinal mushrooms as well. But if you don't put that into action, nothing will happen. Of course. But then also comes down to that person. Like is there true motivation and true intent to do that list they just wrote or are they just doing that to give themselves a little band-aid of ease so then they can just go back into the little crutch yeah it it is a band-aid but it also it does give you the clarity and what i find what psilocybin can do for you it can help break through negative mind loops yeah so you get it stuck into these i don't know like uh, i was going to the gym for years and years and years and then all of a sudden you don't go and now you're stuck it's like okay well now i'm not going to the gym i should be running i'm not running uh okay maybe i should call home once a week i haven't been doing that and that you can get stuck in and time can fly by four months five months six months sometimes with psilocybin you can take that and come out of that with clarity and literally the next day breakthrough Mm. and it's i guess maybe it's therapeutic as well so maybe just, yeah, more therapeutic. But everyone has their own interpretation of it. I, I, I also believe that it's not for everyone, just like I believe marijuana is not for everyone. Because some people are prone to schizophrenia. And if that runs in your family, and if you are prone to that, you should not be touching this stuff at all. Of course. But so. that's because everyone has a different chemical makeup. Exactly. And a hormo- different hormones in the brain. So 
just that's just like why they say everyone has different poisons you know like yeah and it de- it depends like how you will react to it like for example if uh, i don't have adhd but i know friends that do have adhd and when they take their i guess it was ritalin yeah ritalin some people like if you have adhd and you take ritalin you get calm if you don't have adhd and you take ritalin you shoot up <laughs> I actually tried Ritalin and that was the scariest drug just because for my whole life, everyone's like, oh, you've got ADD, you've got ADD. And then someone's like, yo, you want to try this Ritalin? And I was like, this could answer a lot of things. But it's so dangerous. Well, of course it's dangerous and nobody go in and do that. I'm not telling you to go and do that. And that was naughty of me to do that as well. But I did something naughty, okay? So (laughs) anyway, I got super, super high and I was just like, this is the best. I was more high on the fact that I was like, Sucked in everyone. I do not have ADD. Yeah. Were you super focused? <laughs> uh, super focused. It was just more like super focused, chip monkey. Yeah. Like, yeah, and this highly stuff, it's, energized. It's not natural. It's chemical. Of it's, course, it's uh, chemical, and you can feel that part of it as well. You know, yeah, it's quite obviously quite it was a one-off. Okay, on a, on a lighter <laughs> night, that was our, our alien conspiracy, <laughs> Terrence McKenna uh, side note, which uh, it's always fun. Uh, I can talk about that stuff for Me hours too. and hours and hours. I was really lucky. So going into my ayahuasca ceremony, I'd just come off like a 200-hour um, registered yoga teacher training. So I did that before my first LFL season with the Las Vegas Sin because um, I was coming off like surgery. So I wanted to re- like re-strengthen my core, get like and um flexibility as well as strength um so what better i was going to do yoga anyway why not be accredited at Mm -hmm. the same time um so i got this so many you know there's so many different things when you're putting your body through that and cleansing the cleansing your entire system with all the chakra systems and all your bundas and Mm. and then to go from that sort of cleansed state into doing an ayahuasca ceremony i think it was like scheduled two or three months after um where did you do the ayahuasca? I did mine in Vegas still. So okay. mine wasn't, I would love to go to the Amazonian jungle, of course. I think that Mother Nature can, it's trying to communicate. That's one thing I can say from when I was doing thermography. I would either like scan my hands and start realizing that our hands have a different vibration when you put the intent of like, mm-hmm. you know, just thinking of them. Your hands would raise like a, a temperature of point to point 0.7 of degrees Celsius. That's a lot with intent of just focusing on your hands. So obviously your hands has a different frequency. Mm-hmm. But when I would look at the trees on the ayahuasca. Not on the ayahuasca oh, with the thermography camera. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> even then you can see that the trees there's I know it sounds strange but the trees are wanting to like reach out and communicate even with each other and you can see all of that system and it looks like just like the nervous system. Now the nervous system is there to what communicate within our bodies. Yeah. So it was this. It's the same pattern. Like so, I think maybe doing. Yeah, and what, what was I your takeaway from the ayahuasca? Uh, for the or, ayahuasca. Oh, before that, sorry. What was your intention? And everyone understands it's set, setting, and intention. What was your intention going into it? Mine was always just wanting to know more within myself and making sure that I'm, you know, doing all that I can and I'm representing and you know just honoring the people that before me who brought me into this line of lineage i guess um 
Yeah, that was when I was just leaving like LFL and I was obviously worried because I'm New Zealand. So then you have the stigma with, are you a warrior and, you know, that sort of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, that's like, (laughs) that's a big burden to kind of try and carry and like (laughs) really represent, I guess, my people, you know, that's like a lot. Um, So I wanted to kind of know those things and um, I always get the same messages and it's always like I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right things. Um, of course, like just clarity in knowing that, yeah, I'm doing good and I'm exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did do my ayahuasca ceremony, I actually rem- floated to like, uh, it was like a, an you left, island. You left your body. I left my body. I l- completely left my body. I saw myself as like a tigress sort of energy. Um, and yeah, I just saw myself as this badass warrior. And I, you know, from that, that was clarity and going, oh, if that's me and my future self, then I'm already all those things. Mm-hmm. So why am I scared that I'm not those things when I'm actually already her? Is, is that, what was your, was that your takeaway from the experience? For me, it was, um, yeah, that I'm just always on the right path and never be scared, even though I'm always worried I'm not a good enough person or I'm mm-hmm. not doing enough. Um, so yeah, I just always get the clarification that, yeah, I'm doing good and I'm always doing good. Um, there and was a few people sort of freaking. You are focused on that still, and this is is, this, is this your mandate now? I think that's even with martial arts, and I've said to so many people before. I'm like, of course, for all of us, you want to see how far you can go and see where you know you can you can take yourself and see what level you can represent at. Um, but at the same time, it's still that journey of self, and that's what you need to respect the most. And for me, that's what I try to respect the most. Um, and now, now you're on th- that path and it seems, uh, from my understanding, and again, I try not to talk to the guests too much before it, so I can take, uh, I can have my assumptions and then we can take it in different directions, but I'm assuming awesome. your, your, your path now is you are focused on MMA and, yeah. and starting with the LFC. So we've, we probably jumped a little bit ahead before connecting yourself to coming to Thailand, but yeah. Why don't you start there and connect that and explain like how you got to Thailand, why you came here, connecting that to getting into the L- LFC because you are on their website as a yep. prospect and what are the next steps? Okay, so as I left uh, um, America to go get my visa, um, I had just been signed with LFC. So LFC was to go side by side as more an entertainment aspect while everyday training from, you know, martial arts and, and fights. Mm-hmm. Um, LFC is like an MMA, sort of WWE, lingerie, fighting championship But it's show. still, it's full on, you're trying to take each other's heads off. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Full trying to take each other's heads off, but there's no punches to the face. Oh, really? So no punches to the face. <laughs> Money makers. <laughs> and um, so I was meant to go home, get my O&P type visa, and then um, go back and be on a reality TV show with LFC. So that all happens. I end up getting a job. Um, we'll call him Mr. Smith where I was to go. We'll go kata yo- hot yoga um, and help the healing process of him get clean. Um, so that was um, just before that. I was meant. To, I was also meant to be going with one of my Heart Math Foundation coaches. Is this your story going into Bali? Because I listened a bit about that. Bali. Uh, you're you're supposed to go to Bali, like and you. Sent yeah, me Bali. The- oh, it's Bali. Bali. Sorry accent bali <laughs> bali yeah that's yeah. better <laughs> <laughs> there we go <laughs> so yeah that's what um leads me like into bali okay. and for me i thought okay awesome i'm gonna be apprenticing under charlotte 
Um, shout out to Charlotte. So she's a heart mouth foundation coach. Um, she's one of my like spiritual and mental guides and someone who I check in with as well. Um, mm-hmm. because I think we all have coaches for boxing and all this stuff. But for me, I need like my spiritual coaches and my mental coaches, as well as coaches that just I can check in with and, They've, you know, been like top level of NFL and now they're getting kids into the combine. And, and she's she's in Bali. And so she was in Bali. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to be, I was going to be guest speaking. And so the, the connection is you're, you're, you're supposed to go on this reality TV show. You're in the US, but you're trying to get the visa. And so in the middle of doing all the visas, I thought you're in Bali oh, at this stage. I'm in Thailand at this stage. You're, I come okay. to, I go back to Australia. There's going to be a waiting period, everything. And I think awesome, for the visa, for the visas. Okay, got it. Yeah. As to which then I was offered a job where I would be helping someone in a healing process of getting clean from drinking. Okay. From there, I was meant to be going to Bali. So for me, I thought, awesome, I'm closer to Bali. It, it's six weeks. It was meant to be a six-week time frame in between Thailand to Bali, as to which I would finish, my, finish the uh, meditation course with Charlotte, apprenticing under Charlotte in Bali, mm-hmm. to then go back to Australia and finish the visa system to then go back gotcha. to do the reality TV yeah. show for and LFC. What happened? Well, we all probably know what happened. COVID <laughs> happened. Well, wait, we try, Literally. We try to say the, either what the current situation or the C word uh, <laughs> because we don't... You can't. No, because you know what's <laughs> funny? YouTube, they analyze all your dialogue. And when, and when you use these words, they like Uh-oh. shadow ban the videos. <laughs> what? Like I tried oh, to, let's I, not I'll, say I'll, anything. I'll digress a little bit and we'll jump back into the story. But like I tried to do some promotion stuff for a conversation that I had with uh, some friends that were stuck in China. And like there's nothing even bad on it. It just says like uh, uh, fam- family trapped in, in Thailand. But I didn't use the C word or current situation. Nothing. Nothing. And when I try to promote it on YouTube, Ooh. YouTube blocks it. Because they're picking up the dialogue through the, um, they must be like, because uh, YouTube will automate our captions later. So they know everything we're saying right now. Wow. So when you use that, That's I have well. a feeling they like quickly grab that word and just like phew, shadow ban. That's not, they won't do it to the account, but maybe to the video. It's not the end of the world. Okay. Anyways, yeah. we'll jump back into that. <laughs> so you, you are now, now you're in Thailand. You're planning to get back to Australia. Um, but sorry, you did go to Bali. No, I didn't. Because so of the COVID. I was oh, literally shit. at the... Sugar. <laughs> 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 all the explanation. <laughs> we'll, 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 you know what we'll do? We'll just beep it out. Okay. That's a good beep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm at the airport. That's when, you know, everything's just going... That was That's Google listening. It just said Oh, something. my God. That was scary. <laughs> that was Google saying... Anyway. <laughs> Damn it, Google. All Whoa. Right. Uh, so that's what... <laughs> Y'all gonna... Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. I don't know what it says. <laughs> so I was talking bad about YouTube. Sorry, Google. <laughs> I love you, YouTube and <laughs> Apple and all of you. I love you. Um, so yeah. um, you're at the airport. <laughs> at the airport. Everything shuts down. Charlotte's already made it to Bali because she was um, going to get in there and just, you know, start organizing hotels because we've got, you know, a number of people coming um, to do the, the, you know, do the meditation healing course with us. And then, yeah, everything shuts down. I was meant to be getting paid, you know, for my services. Mm-hmm. So I've got, I'm now limited. I actually lost my job when I was meant to be healing, let's say, Mr. Smith, because my other friend who's actually a f- uh, 
Playboy Bunny from the Philippines mm. was trapped in Phuket. So obviously I'm like, yeah, let's catch up. She loves whiskey. Uh-oh. What's my client love? Whiskey. Oh, God. So I lose my job to my Playboy Bunny friend, <laughs> which could, is fair enough. They, they were hanging out. Of course, and which is fair that. enough. I'm like, fair play. Maybe next year you'll do. You'll have another crack. But for now, yeah. even I'm going to let this slide because it's a Playboy Bunny. So the universe really tested him as to whether he needed to do one thing and another in the form of a Playboy Bunny from the Philippines. So he's obviously... We know where that left him. He gave up. He gave Of course, he was like, well, see you later. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that's fair play, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even, can't even hate on you, mate. Um, so I don't get my job. So obviously he's like refusing to pay because he's like, no, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Peace be with you. Yeah, I'll yeah. fucking figure it out, mate. Mm. Whatever. Um, so then I get stuck because all, everything shuts down. I have like limited money. I what, what time? What month? Year? This is this is twenty twenty March two thousand and nineteen December. Dece- oh, right away. Right away. Oh. So that was, I yeah, that's right away. Like literally right away into, and this is through to the March. I think where everything yeah started to For happen. Sure. And all the lockdown happened around March April yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. So I then have li- yeah limited resources. I go. I walked past this Muay Thai gym from where I was staying. Um, like from from the original job, Rawai in Rawai, yeah. and I walk past this tin shed where they've you know been training Muay Thai, and I go up to them and I'm like, because obviously I can't afford to go to Tiger or go to one of these other fancy places. Which for me, okay, I've been Atlanta, I've been Las Vegas, I've been at the UFCPI, I've got to listen to all these pe- like amazing martial artist stories. Like shout out to every person who's ever given me their time mm. and talked about their little journeys. But for most of the ones who are at that pinnacle of like in that sport, at least one time they mentioned Thailand. So for me, I always wanted to come to Thailand because obviously there's something on that journey that has pulled them there. Mm -hmm. And me now being here and everything's happening. I also got to have those aha moments during a fight at Bangalore and then a fight against Dog Maipa where it was on like out, you know, on channel three or whatever. In those same moments, I was like, I understand why I also got caught here. So rewind back. I see this Muay Thai gym. It's the only one I can afford. It's it's basically a hole in the wall. It's just a hole in the wall. And I tell them, hey, you know, I just lost my job. This has just happened. I have, I don't know what else to do. This is, I have to come and ask you. I've got to like put my tail between my legs, be be completely humble and say, this is all the money I have. I'm meant to be, you know, leaving. Please take everything and just... Teach me Muay Thai. I'm, a, you know, I'm MMA. I'm coming from pro football, so I'm a football. I'm the best tackler. Do you have any experience in Muay Thai at no. all? No, you've never thrown a kick. Never. Okay. Ever. I'm just know that I was like football and Muay Thai, mm. and that would make whatever this is mm. now happening now. Um, so I end up sleeping on just like a shitty mattress on the floor on, a, on the floor at eating, the gym. At the gym, yeah. Um, eating like one egg, one cup of rice. So when people are like, "Oh, you're so prissy," I'm like, "You have no mm. idea the levels of shit that I will go through to make sure that I continue learning and learning through all of that." Did you do that because you had to do that, or did you want to put yourself through that? I think a little of column A and B, but mostly, like I said, everything for me is directed through my own cash flow, and that's. I wasn't getting my paycheck until I got to Bali. Yeah, you had to budget it out. So I had to budget it yeah. out because then also for me, I'm like, I need to budget it out for the next six, you know, next few months. We can't just yeah. 
you can't just spend everything. And I probably learned the best of that from obviously my childhood and upbringing, but also as an electrical contractor, there's times where, yeah, I had stacks in the bank, but I had three or four jobs that I needed to fit out. And then I needed to wait an extra few months before they paid. So I, you know, you understand those cash flows of yeah, it's hills and valleys. Yeah. And not, uh, you know, yeah, you just have to play it safe. You have to. Um, so you're so training, you're training at this, this, we'll call it this tin, yeah, tin hole shed. in the wall, tin shed, Mo- Muay Thai <laughs> thing. And this is again around now it's probably getting into 2020, just early, yeah, 2020. early 2020. Um, what was your agenda? What was your, your plan from there? You're just going to train and was, what was the goal? Where did you see that headed to? For me, I had one of my friends, she had a Bellator fight, um, Kat from, she's German and she had a Bellator fight. She was meant to be coming over in I think March or April. So it, I don't remember if it was just before my Bali trip. I think it was just, uh, I think it was actually meant to be after the Bali meditation retreat. So I'd finished there have my money, fly back, get to help her and train with her in her camp. Um, and then, uh, and that, and you know, that didn't happen. Um, so for me, I just thought, okay, this has all happened. This is what I have to deal with. I wanted to learn Muay Thai. I wanted to be in Thailand at one stage. It's happening in a completely, mm-hmm. you know, unfathomable way. So let's not, I was just like, let's just fucking do it. Um, so I ended up staying with these guys, um, just all surrounded with ties, living at this gym. Um, and honestly, it was probably the best experience because for one, they didn't, they had internet, but for the, at that stage, they didn't know Tyamri, the LFL girl. They didn't know Tyamri, the model. They didn't know any of that. And I loved it. Like I loved that. Did they ever find it? Find Eventually it? they found out and they were like, what? that and i was like oh no <laughs> they know who i am oh no Uh-oh. um but <laughs> before then i just explained i'm like i played football in america mm. i want to like combine muay thai i want to learn how to like i've just had you know this acl i've you know a few months mu- you know six months out from that or uh, 10 months out from that so i want to learn how to dance violently mm. and that's muay thai I want to learn balance and kicking and, and using all of my, uh, like everything, because before that in America, I, you know, had the damaged knee. So I just was like, okay, jujitsu and boxing. So at, at this point you already had jujitsu from a these bit other, from so, so you weren't doing any Muay Thai at like, uh, in, in the U S you're no. pretty much doing the wrestling jujitsu and boxing and boxing. And that you never, you, you weren't even thinking about throwing kicks at this stage. No, because I wanted to just like get a base in that. And I never have felt like I'm kind of stocky. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I'm not stocky stocky, but for me, I'm very, <sighs> I was a linebacker like for hell. I don't want to be kicking and putting my legs in the air like that, that to me okay that was hard Muay Thai mm-hmm. was hard for, has been super hard for me um to learn to want to kick because I just want to run in and just start uh, throwing fists uh, and take you down you know yeah that's that's what I wanted to do so yeah I end up everything sort of happens I end up living in this tin shed um but then the real lockdown happens yeah the proper one where the streets and the, yeah, and the cops the, were everywhere. Um, all the regions locked. You know, yeah. so there's the original one where the flights were all stopped and, you know, that stopped <laughs> the Bali tr- retreat. Um, and then the, the real one happened. Like, and that's when I felt such a change in the community that I was in. Everyone um, was helping each other. It was, uh, was not it me. They weren't helping. There was a change towards the Farang. And that's, yeah. and 
whatever was happening from that, like that's what was happening. By that stage, I'd had my fifth fight at Bangalore in the in the stadium. Oh, it was still going. So that up until then. So that, yeah. you get me? So yeah. not long after that, in, in one of them, that's when Jack from Powerhouse. Um, what happened to that tin shirt you had to kind so of So I had to leave because, because to me, what was ha- like be- just because of how things were happening and I was trapped in just one small little room and for me, I'm like, I need to be at least able to leave this tiny little yeah. quarters. Like I need, to, I can't even do yoga. I couldn't I even stretch. I couldn't do anything. And like food was making more scarce yet. Here I am like forking out the money that I had. And I just start, remembered Jack and Eddie from Powerhouse and them just giving me this courage in my last Bangalore fight. And I thought, you know what? How did you connect with them there? I, I just, they were there. It in was the area. In the, they were in the area. They were, no, at the stadium. That's when I, okay. that's when, that's when I met them. Yeah. And um, it was like my, like I said, it was my fifth fight. I was a bit busted up. And I was like, is that normal for them to like make me fight this many? And they were like, and from the looks on their faces, I was just like, this is not normal. I was like, this is not good. They're just, you know, and then you realize there's they're a, trying to make money. They're just make, of course, everything's yeah. about making money. Yeah. Um, and that's why I had so much respect for Jack and Eddie. They were just like, okay, this is the scenario. You've just gotten the big call for the big leagues. Now you can see like what you're really made of. You're completely busted up. You wouldn't say no in that situation. You know, just gave me this height where I was just like, do, 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 do. Boom. Went out, won my little fight. I was like, yes. Elbowed her in the head. I was like, this feels amazing. Elbows mm. are awesome. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when things started to go down, I just thought, look, if I want to be out, if things are going to get weird and we're going to be fighting people, like who knows what was going to happen. We'd None of us knew how people were going to react. Um, but in my head, obviously, you can tell them a little bit in the, ooh, you know, weird stuff, whatever. Mm. Um, I just thought, mm-hmm. I need those Australians and the people who are like, I need those people. Because you need that support I, Yeah, I needed, you. if we're going to be punching on with some people and we're fucking shooting people from the roof, like I need someone who's got my back and with, you know, back against the wall together. So at which point did you move over to power? Which, which month are we in now? When I you've... think now we're in Jennifer March. March or April 2020. 2020. Okay. And so then through the f- whole initial COVID first, like all of that. And you, you stayed like, with them. I just stayed with that. them. And <clears throat> I like thank them so much for, yeah, really teaching. Obviously the Thai gym taught me some like those basics and I sat for hours just kicking that, like trying to get, turn my hips over. Yeah. And so they helped me in that base. And then it was Jack and Eddie and Brooke and Tommy who uh, really then had to put a lot of work into helping me. And are are you still there now? No. Then I was given um, a sponsorship um, under my um, Phuket Fight Club to which now my sponsorship has just ended with them as well. Okay. Um, And I was, I think I was with them for the sponsorship was six months. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that entail? Like, and I'm sure people, I'm even curious about that. What does that mean? Sponsorship? Is it pretty much like free accommodation and training? For me, it was just free training. I had already um, found my own like place on Soy Thai Ed and considering like that was the first, I've just come off like concrete floor. And then I was living at powerhouse for like nearly a year um and com- and honestly that's the best thing that's i really felt like that fast tracked my learning ability like from powerhouse from powerhouse yeah. and and really living it and i think i would love to live that close to a gym and be able to do that again 
and maybe that's what I'll do like in the near future just so I can put that refocus on. Um, so, so you, uh, you were, your con- your sponsorship is coming to an end for Phuket Fight Club. Yep. Um, how do we tie Now I'm a free in? agent. You're a free agent. Okay, yeah. we're looking for sponsors here. I'm looking for gym. Yeah, we're looking for gym <laughs> sponsors. Maybe up in uh, yeah, hit this me area. Up. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. would love to be able to continue to represent. Um, well, now all the gyms are Phuket. closed, right? Of course, until... They say yeah. until next week. Um, right now, I'm still sponsored at Primal Fitness. So I've just, yeah, like this all happened. So for me, I just went, okay, my focus now is rebuilding and doing what I've always done. Mm-hmm. So when I was in America, I was at a combine gym where we got guys out of college and we got them into the NFL. They also did off-season programs for the Major League Baseballers and the NFL guys, as well as all the college kids. So I was completely exposed to some amazing like workouts and information and knowledge when I was there. So for me, right now, like everything closed, I just went, you know what? We adapt and we just continue because nothing. Are you training people? stops as well, or just kind of? No, ad- I haven't had anyone want me to train them, so I'm just yeah back to doing it and so reading the reading little scripts and then, doing then it all. At what point did the LFC reach out to you? That was when I was still in America. Really? And so since that's why I absolutely love them. I love that even through everyone, they've like kept you they've kept me on there knowing that I want, like I still want to fight for them. And there's like all these exciting projects that we can still do. And, mm-hmm. you know, world travel comes, comes if it does ever come back to normal. Um, and even if not, I love that there's, they just love to represent like the girls who are, who are actually real fighters. Um, just like, I guess with that LFL, they've got some playboy bunnies and, you know, they've got some models and, and whatever, like there's no punching in the face, hence no punching in the face, Mm. but you know, there's the diversity with that. Um, but they actually have like a few, uh, fighters now, Kira Batara, Cindy, um, Danduas, uh, where she, I don't forget where she's from, but there's a couple of us who have legit, all legit, legit fighter, fighters. Yeah. Well, one's fighting in PFL and one's about to fight Bellator. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was yeah. also Combate America. So they've actually, like, they've got a few of us who are probably like that. Everyone's like, you're sexualizing yourself. And you're like, well, I'm a female and I love lingerie. But so. it's also a start to the, that career. Maybe that can lead to PFL, maybe Bellator, maybe UFC. You have to of start. Course. So it's something, yeah. yeah, it's just something different. And it's a different and it's exposure. And it's not a super small promotion. It's no. not like, uh, there There are a ton, a lot of people don't understand this. They just think, they don't even know MMA. They call it UFC. Yeah, that's everyone says that. Oh, you're doing you, UFC? You, I'm do, like, you do UFC? And, no. and that's the thing. People don't realize that. In the U.S., there's probably thousands of promotions. There is small thousands. cards, but yeah. at least with LFL, you can get a lot of eyes on you. Yeah, and LFL is. If you do well, you can maybe get into another uh, a, a step up promotion like a Bellator or a PFL. As well as Invicta, I think it, for me, I would love to fight Invicta because it's an all female card. I think that's that's like major. What about one? Just because you are here, could that be an o- an option? Because you're so it's so close to home. Of course, if that's where I can work my like little career to while living over here, of course, who wouldn't want to be able to do that? That's the highest mm. level of sport here. Also, Misha is like involved with one, and obviously, I have a soft spot with Misha being the. She could help get you yeah, a connection, or well, a not even just the connection, but to if I could make it into that with even without her doing the connection and <coughs> being able to look at her and being like. Yeah, you planted this seed, and this mm-hmm. is like I got here. Like, thank you. And, and is is this the <laughs> the, the is this the vi- the vision right now? Is this your agenda? And I know I've kind of repeated these words a few times throughout yeah. the podcast, but next step. 
for Ty is let's focus on getting back into the LFL from there. Maybe we can go to another league or do you scrap that and attempt to go straight for one? What, what, do you, what is your vision? What do you see happening next? Okay, right now, just because of where the world is, I would like to spend, you know, the next few years still living in Thailand. I've been here since 2019 and the longer I'm here, the longer I'm realizing this is really where I want to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is where I, lo- I really love it. I love my life here. I love the serenity and I, I love the martial arts journey. I love the Thai culture f- around martial arts and around Muay Thai. I think it's 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 like a religion for them and I, f- I love that sort of aspect of it all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so for me, I would really love to find a gym and um, I'm over at Grapplers Academy now as well. Um, a lot of guys, it's really about seeking people who are your same size at the moment because mm. bodies are like dropping like flies. Like people are all going back home. Yeah, people are realizing it's getting a bit crazy. Yeah, it's getting a bit crazy. Not many people are coming <clears throat> in. If they are coming in, they're holidays. They're not martial artists or, you know, people who are going and rolling. So right now I've just been more seeking, um, I guess that's the right sort of training journey. partners as yeah, well, which the is the right important. training partners, people my size. And like also with a certain skill level, because you're only as good as your competition, right? Of course. And you so need that. You can, you, you're not looking for, you know, your, well, obviously it's not now, but you're the tourists that would come in and they train one month. You need a certain yeah. level of competition. Of course, you need people above you. You yeah. need people your own level and you need um, people also below your level because all three grades are, are what help you, you know, either get beat up, see where you're at, and also be able to try your moves out on those people, you know. So, yeah, that's for me right now. It's finding somewhere I can learn my stand-up and my striking. I feel um, that's super important. This is what um, you want to focus on. And yeah. that's what I want. will be focusing on. Um, and then I guess from there we just continue training and wait for Hardcore and Super Champ to open back up. Mm-hmm. Um I also have some cross training. Um, yeah, I heard they were actually coming down. Super Champ was supposed to come down to Rawai. Meant to. Meant to. And then, yeah, yeah, so. But who knows? In my head, I've already crossed this year off as. Just maybe fine tune your skill and exactly. keep, keep pushing forward. And that's and then I just look back. Oh, well, that's what I did in my powerhouse year. <coughs> and when I came out, I fought Dog Maipa, who's like number two in Muay Thai. I'm on my fifth Muay Thai fight at that f- at that point. Mm-hmm. Should I have taken that fight? Probably not. It was a good fight, you know. But like, it's a learning experience. Of course, as well. it was a learning experience, but also it showed that just by having that full focus, like I was, you were ready for it, you know, because yeah. you just didn't stop. And so that's how I'm seeing the rest of this year. I'm seeing it as time to be in at the gym and rebuild my body and make sure, like, I might be less injury prone, and mm-hmm. also just finding the right fit for me for the next few years to be able to stay here and, and, you know, find that team. That's, I'm looking for people who are like, yes, we've gelled with you. We are like, that's it. Let's go. Um, so yeah, right now I'm looking for my, like a striking gym. Um, now that everything's sort of ended, uh, well, we gotta, we'll plug that. We're looking, she's looking for a striking gym. <laughs> I'm looking for someone who wants to Bring come this on. Celebrity and, like, in there. She's great for the gym. It's great <laughs> oh, for, <laughs> maybe just like yeah. full positivity. But I work hard, you know. But what what is um? I like to ask all guests this question: Who truly is Ty Emery? What is your? I don't want to say elevator pitch, but let's call it the escalator pitch. A bit the long escalator pitch. Yes. Like who who are you in, in a nutshell? That if and and again, who cares what people think about you? But how do you think of yourself? I think deep down, I'm just like this dorky, nerdy 
super obsessed, really serious, but really sarcastic and funny, like chill person who isn't sometimes chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you uh, can, everyone can be complex. Well, of well. course. Yeah, I see myself as like this comic book reading, uh, yeah, like little nerdo who loves being like, oh, I love girly things. And then go in. And then, yeah, being super aggressive and also like, yeah, love a good party. So, like, I guess I'm like, I feel like I'm like this nerdy version of Catwoman where maybe I'm just like the bad girl who's not really the bad girl. Who's also got like that hidden nerdy side. We'll also take your head off. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, um, we probably passed two hours for sure. Um, this is your, uh, it's not, I always, anyways, I was going to say something, but it's stupid. Say the damn hot, hot ones. Have you seen that show? <laughs> no. Anyways, whatever. That's why I'm like, you're not going to get you're it. You're like, it's okay. not funny if I have to explain yeah, it to Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is your camera. I know you got a million things to plug. Plug whatever you want. Honestly, I want to thank um, all the gyms that I've ever been able to represent. ATT, Octopus, Cabrinha Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Phuket Fight Club, Powerhouse. Um, my sister Tani, uh, Leanne for always feeding me. Um, thank you for letting me be the feral cat. Um, also, my mouth guard sponsor. Um, Who's that? Oh, they're and these guys too. And also Elite because he will always like seriously be dropping in. Um, I've got so many. Honestly, if you're someone who's like drops in and gives me some fucking motivation, like they have no idea how like far that goes, you know. Sometimes like this journey is super lone wolf, you know. So yeah. it's random at times when someone can just pop into your life and just be this like spark of fire and motivation and I want to say thanks to all those people, mm -hmm. um, whether they're a sponsor or not. And where where can everybody find you? Uh, what's probably in, 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 would you easy? Say find me on the Instagrams, Instagram. just at t a i underscore e m e i y. Yeah, thank you, Elite. Thank you. Um, yeah. Awesome, and you Dude, can, go, thanks you can check check Cheers. out her. Um, you can check out your the link in your profile, and there's tons of uh, stuff there. You can find more about her as well. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to watch the full video on YouTube. Come visit our channel, Fruiting Body Podcast. We can also be found on Instagram at Fruiting Body Podcast. Please be sure to share and follow this podcast with friends and family. Thank you very much.